Shut up and sit down. Yesterday it was 70, today it's 20. It's ridiculous. Whoever's holding Mother Nature's beer, I'd like you to give it back to her. Because she's got way too much ability to maneuver around lately. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I am... I'm not thrilled. Just not thrilled. Um... I've also had a great deal of chocolate and coffee, uh, so I'm a little hyper, just FYI. Um, I've also, I'm really excited because I'm working on a project um, that I'm going to um, share with you guys later. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a cock tease. It's, it's not even actually fiction. It's, it's something else. Um, it's something for our community, um, and um, I'm really excited about it, and um, I think it's going to be awesome, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys. I, uh, Jilly is going to join me in a couple of seconds, and we're going to get started on this plot drift, cause, um, or this episode drift, because I think it's going to take a lot of time, so there's not going to be a lot of um, room to fuck around. Uh, there I go. I've earned my R rating for the evening. <clears throat> For those of you who are listening to this, if you have not listened to the plot drift that Jilly did, um, fuck a duck, I didn't get the date. I meant to get the date before I came over here to do the podcast so I could tell you what to um, listen to first. Okay, if you've listened to the podcast from January 27th called Plot Drift, the Daedalus rescues John and he gets a surprise. You need to listen to that first before you listen to this um, because I, I think it will help you um, get on the right page. Um, if you're listening to me live right now and you haven't listened to it, that's okay. It's kind of, it's fine. You, 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 I'm not throwing you out. You can stay. Uh, anyway, let's get started. Okay. Is that you? It is. Okay. <laughs> My dad was kind of full this evening. <laughs> I had the worst comedy of errors getting ready for the show. I thought, i got plenty of time. I'll um, get my stuff, get situated in the right room. I need to switch rooms. And, um, and like, it's two minutes before the show, and I realized I had everything. I had my computer. I had my drinks. I had emergency chocolate just in case I get ravished, you know, if I find myself um, famished in the next hour, two hours. But, Notice she said oh, ravished first. <laughs> I know, I know. I do tend to think of chocolate as ravishing, but it is for, you know, when I'm hungry. So I uh, I also didn't realize that two minutes before that I didn't have the actual phone because I can't call in over the computer because the audio streaming doesn't work um, for me. So I run out, get the phone, and I grab my headset, and I'm bringing them back into the room, and the headset snagged on something, and I just gave a tug, and it snapped the headset. I was like, oh, so I have. No. I always keep a spare because I refuse to be on the phone because sometimes I'm on the phone for six or seven hours and I refuse to be on the phone without a headset. 
So, but I had to go get the spare and unpack it and take the stupid twisty ties off, and I was just like, fuck. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I come skipping into the room, like, you know, two minutes now, late. Is this a like, cell phone headset or a regular traditional phone headset? This, well, normally I have a Bluetooth headset. That's the one I just broke. Um, oh, but, no. But um, I keep a wired headset for, you know, backup. Yeah. So. But I was just like, what else? Me, I'll, I'll need to do well, I'll fall Bluetooth on the way back headsets, to the computer. Because um, huh? I always forget to charge one or the other. So I have two Bluetooth. I have an LG headset, and I have a um, one that sticks in my ear. Um, a, what is that thing called? Um... It's not actually bad. It has actually it has better sound quality than the Bluetooth, but the Bluetooth is more comfortable. Yeah. It's a Plantonics. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the that's Bluetooth the headset I I've got. Is a I have a, I have one of those in Bluetooth. Actually, I've got a bunch of Bluetooth headsets that are in need of charging, um, like a whole drawer full of them. <laughs> 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 yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Okay, let's get this party on the on the so on the road the, or something. In the spirit of plot drift, I actually did not. I've been working on the overall plot arc of the um, season, or what would be a novel in, in other another and if from another if I ever do this like a normal story. But I didn't actually. I, tr- I didn't actually focus on um, any of the episode plots. So um, I'm going to be winging that like usual, even though I have the overall arc of the plot already set more or less I think it's important to point out that it that when you're going to plot episodes you need to have the whole arc in your head already so that you can separate out your episodes so that your episodes when read together read like a giant book right so to speak um because it's important to have a beginning and a middle of an end for your season as well as a beginning and a middle of an end for each episode. And I hope that isn't making people go screaming into the night because it's not as complicated as it sounds. So, And a season, okay. you know, when you, your season could be a mini-series. You know, it could be like like the three-episode the three episode arc that they do for Sherlock. It doesn't have to be um, a 26-episode run. Or twenty episode run, or you know, you can do. It could be a you know made for TV miniseries or something. You could do four long ten episodes. episodes. You know, I'm doing ten, ten for episodes. July. I'm shooting for ten um, myself, um, and since I tend to write the upper end of the word count, that's a lot for a July. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, me um, too. But. <laughs> yeah, because normally we shoot Tim's for shorter. T- we, we usually shoot for shorter for um, July. But the last two Julys, I got done earlier than I wanted, and then I was miserable at the end of the month. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> July is like the most available writing month for me, and every year we've done, I've done Rough Trade. July is like the month that I have the most, it winds up being, the, you know, that month that I have the most writing time. And November winds up being the one as the least, and then my smallest projects are in July, and my biggest projects are in November. You know, mm-hmm. just a lot of fate. Okay, so I did make a couple of changes to... Um, or sorted a couple things out since the last show. So for those of you who haven't heard it yet, just go with it. Um, this will make sense to the people who did hear it. I decided that um, instead of – because this was based upon a scene idea that I had of um, 
John getting rescued by the Daedalus at the end of season one of SGA and finding David and Matthew on board um, and possibly even Alex on board was the original idea. Um, but then we changed it up during the drift to Alex being on Atlantis already. Um, and that scene, that, that, that starter scene, has now completely gone away because it doesn't make any sense in the, in the context of working out the kinks of what was wrong with that caused the scene to go away, which doesn't hurt my heart at all. Um, but what I decided to do was uh, we had I had um, we had decided to move um, have eliminate the the reinforcements coming through the gate, um, have them not be able to connect or whatever, and so O'Neill just sent the Daedalus straight on. And they were at the point of evacuating when the Daedalus showed up, and they were going to take a puddle jumper to another a space gate and gate to the Alpha site, and it would be like John, Rodney, and Alex would be the last ones off the city. Um, what I decided to do instead, for simplification, um, because that actually would have taken quite a bit of time to explain that that setup, why they were doing things that way, um, was just have David be the one coming through the gate as the reinforcement. So that's going to be a change. So if anybody had that stuck in their head, um, get it out. And the other thing is, from a background perspective, is that Alex um, is already with the SGC when John joins. Alex is recruited in the first year of the Stargate program, um, straight out of, um, you know, pretty newly into the Marines. Um, he's finished with his master's. He's pretty newly into the Marines. So he's already with the program. So, um all right, so first episode. So the way I figured I'd approach the first episode is um, I want to – the primary – now, the primary lens for the, the series, the fo- most folk – normally in a book, you have one focal character. You know, you have one character who's your primary focus, and you can have other main characters, but you have a primary character. And if I were writing this as a book, um, John would be the primary character. So – He's still going to be my primary lens, my focal point for the most part in the series. But like a TV show, you have the more flexibility to veer off um, in a side story or an episode arc that has nothing to – that John is in very little and focus on other things and have another central character come to the fore. So it is primarily about the four brothers, um, but John is still going to be my primary focus. So I wanted to start with John. And he is getting um, being recruited to lead the the um, be, be the military leader for the um, Atlantis expedition. So I thought about just starting when O'Neill is trying to persuade him to join the program, but there's a lot of exposition I would have needed to do for that first episode to um, explain the setup. So I decided to start with John's on his way to meet with O'Neill. And um, he and David are on the phone talking about the fact that they're all having leave together shortly and the whole family is going to get together because um, this would be summer and they're all going to get together. So um, anyway, so O'Neill, so John and, John and David have a chat. They talk about their brothers, and that conversation sets some, of the, sets some of the scene about what the brothers are up to. And one of the things that will be clear to the reader that's not clear to John right away is that John and David have no clue um, what Alex does or where he's even located because they think he is in Antarctica and going to be going on leave. So right after John is pretty persuaded to take on the expedition, he's 
thinking about it, O'Neill takes him out to a conference room where Alex is waiting and says, by the way, you should too have a conversation about what your brother's been doing for the last eight years. So that's going to be um, a conversation. <laughs> oh, by the way, your brother's been leaving the planet for most of a decade. <laughs> right. So they think, and Carter's the one who recruited Alex um, because of his aptitude with weapon design. And um, they think that Alex has been basically doing research for the last um, eight years or so. Um, so they've like, John and David have been like, this is the safe brother. He's the one who's been okay because they worry about Matt being out doing, um, being a fighter pilot and, um, and he's stationed on an aircraft carrier. And they find out that Alex is, not only does he do weapons research for this program, but he's on a gate team. And he's routinely off-world and has been held hostage a few times. And he and Rodney are sort of best buds. Um, because it's, it's Alex in Antarctica with Rodney when they activate the chair, um, not John. So that will be a, a little bit of a difference because um, bringing in John in a different way. Um, so made that adjustment. So um, Alex knows this is coming. He knows they're recruiting John. He's kind of looking forward to it. But John's going to give him a very serious talking to in that first episode. So a lot of the first episode – and. Um, this is one of those things of work I have to kind of determine how much I was constrained by length. So I would have um, like a different approach to the first episode possibly if I were writing this for July where I have a 10K cap. Um, but um, as I see the first episode, it would be basically everything leading up to going to Atlantis. So John meets the team. He decides to take the mission. He has the long talk with Alex. Um, and then... Um, probably end the episode in the falling action is like a scene where the whole family is together for this last moment together and Alex and John reveal that they're going to be on a classified mission for um, a while and may not be able to be in touch. So, um, yeah, so that's going to be kind of, um, that'll be the first episode is the way I would plot it. Um, so what that, are you thinking on word links on that? Um I think that that it, I could cut some corners around expedition prep, but I kind of wouldn't want to because I want to um, mm -hmm. set up. Oh yeah, John you need to and, build. You need to found. Yeah, I want to set up John and Rodney's. Um, so I'm thinking that if I, it were, it would be a double episode, so it would be like twenty to twenty-five k. Yeah, my first episode of Sitting on Atlantis was thirty. Yeah. Because it basically is my two-hour pilot, because right. I had to do all this, you know, setup. But um, it's important if you're um, doing it in July and, and you only have 10K for your first episode that you shy away from um, a great deal of world building um, if yeah. you're going to have a hard time sticking it in. Yeah, I agree. So it's it's kind of a... Um, I don't. I w in this, I wouldn't want to cut those corners to try to make a word count. I would want to set the expedition up and feel like I set the pilot up really well, so that you had a sense of you know what jo what was going to be different. Because I would want the readers to understand how John was different, how Alex tweaked things, um, how Rodney might might be a little bit different for having um, someone who's already a friend with him before he goes to um, Atlantis. Um, just kind of show, just kind of show through the action of mission prep how things are 
different already so that you can kind of – because I don't want to go through the whole – I'm not interested in retelling the first season of um, Stargate Atlanta. So I want people to kind of – I also think it's important to point out that you can have a two-part episode. Yeah. Part one, So um, if if you were doing this story in July, you could do um, your pilot in two episodes. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like that word count is like constraining so much. It's just the point is, is you're supposed to be able to shape the episode like you would episode of TV. And plenty of TV shows have two-part episodes. Right, and even when you do but a there two-part is a natural episode, rhythm to them. Right. But even when you do a two-part episode, um, each episode still has some level of rise and fall. Um, so you... Mm-hmm. you they do then now they do often leave a two part episode on a cliffhanger. Um, um anyway, <laughs> so, so, so I got distracted by a question. Um so Alex has been with the S G C for eight years. He hasn't hasn't necessarily known Rodney for eight years. He's known Rodney since Rodney um, saved Teal from the gate. And I'm actually thinking that Alex was stuck off world when that whole thing went down. Um, and maybe Alex wrote Rodney while he was in Siberia and thanked him for the work he did um, to get, because maybe they were in precar- precarious circumstances. Um, this is sort of one of the things I thought about was that Alex was in precarious circumstances when they were stuck off world and that Rodney getting the gate back up and running um, saved a member of Alex's team. So Alex expresses appreciation, and they start talking. Um, and then they um, meet up maybe before Alex, before Rodney gets assigned to Area 51. And then he's kind of a natural to be friends with Rodney. And um, you know, that will all come out, but I don't particularly want to show that level of background. I want to start with um, – because that is a moment of change for the series, but the most critical moment of change is right before the expedition launches. So I probably would um, – <laughs> Dark Seraphina says that because it's Alex and he's always in precarious circumstances. This is true. <laughs> um, so the first, the pilot would be about getting to Atlantis. And then um, I probably, this would probably be the first episode. It's going to be a lot about um, just setting the, the the dynamics of how they're going to get along and stuff. And um, also kind of the the conversation between Alex and and John about leaving their their family behind, and um, now you got to remember Patrick is Patrick knows exactly what's going on, even though he can't say anything, because he's an ancient and he's hiding as a human. But he this this is this was their plan. Their plan their plan was to get his sons all on Atlantis. So he's when they come and say they're going to be going on a long mission, Dave is going to be a little bit like, what the fuck? And Patrick's going to be, I support you boys in whatever decisions you feel you need to make. Um, <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> Before they change yes. their mind, these sleeping humans. <laughs> <laughs> you boys do whatever you need to do. Um, anyway, so... Um, is Elizabeth going to be batshit again? Um, she's going to be Elizabeth, but John is going to be very the Elizabeth that, which is my headcanon for Elizabeth is that yes, she's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> she's overly, she she's is kind of crazy. 
she's overly obsessed with she, she's oblivious and she's overly obsessed with with the ancients. Um, so she's going to. Um, so I, most of this stuff with Elizabeth is going to be John making sure the charter is very clear about if they find themselves in a military situation, exactly what's going to happen, and he's going to be very. So the, the first thing that's going to happen is that they're going to. Um, um, he's going to take command of the expedition, and she's not going to like it. But too bad, so sad. Uh, so I got to, I got to, I got to remember that quote, Dark Seraphina. I'm going to, I'm going to quote you. Ascension isn't suicide; it's dying for personal reasons. <laughs> That's fucking hysterical. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so. Um, so there's going to be a lot of, um, like setup of how the dynamic is, what's different so that I want the second episode, um, to be focused on, um, their reactions to the, John and Alex's reactions to the city, how they feel at home, setting up John, taking command of the expedition, um, that kind of stuff, very tactically oriented. And there's also going to be a moment, um, I think my, the moment I'm most interested in for episode two is when they're setting up the Atlantis Recognizance team. Um, John comes in to Alex and says, um, see, Alex is kind of in a weird position. He he's technically um, should be in really close to John in the chain of command, um, but that's kind of weird because they're brothers. So they've kind of made a decision that, that – um, Alex will, you know, going to be sort of a little bit dotted more. He's still in the military chain of command, but because he's also a scientist, that he's going to spend um, as much, if not more, time with uh, the science team than he is with um, um, than with the military side of things. But anyway, Alex will also be on an AR team, and um, John comes in to 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 Alex all kind of a little bit defensive and goes, I want Rodney on my team. And Alex is like, okay. <laughs> Did you think I was going to object? And so I think, do you know think, what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. And so then there'll be like a little converse, just a little conversation to kind of set the tone about, um, that yeah, Alex thinks of Rodney as a really good friend, but he's not trying to climb him like a tree. That really isn't his objective. Um, and uh, well, the fact of the matter is, is if Alex had wanted to go there, he already would have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was plenty of time before John appeared on the scene for him to have hit that if if that was what he wanted to do. Yeah, that's right. That'll be kind of hard. <clears throat> you know, I'm not shy. What's the matter with you? He's a friend of mine. Um, why don't you thinking I'm kind of trying to like mess with your thing he's like you're not messing with my thing go get your own thing <laughs> so um john's kind of having like <laughs> seraphina oh my god <laughs> bros before you science say, goes you can't say shit like that while i'm on the air <laughs> i about spit tea everywhere <sighs> Bros before science hoes. <laughs> You're in rare form tonight, sweetheart. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so um, I am bringing Lauren in earlier because I just want him there. You know, I, I don't. I see, love I, I think, Lauren. He's my favorite. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't. The 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 mission was under. I think one of the things John's going to correct is in in the pilot is that the mission was understaffed on the military side of it. Considering they don't know what the fuck they're going to be getting into, and that he's going to insist on more senior officers because going out there with like two junior lieutenants is just fucking stupid. Um, so he's going to have Lauren's going to be his XO because um, um, because that's just the way I want it. Uh, so, <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do what I want. <laughs> I do what I want. So, that, so I want to kind of just set the tone um, in the first couple episodes about. I don't because, like I said, I don't want to retell, but I kind of want people to be able to infer what is going differently, um, and how things, you know, because I, I sh- if if I set the, if if I set the characters up well and I. Expect set their dynamic up well, you know, and it, it's, it, people should be able to kind of infer what's going to be different, um, what might not have happened or what would have happened differently. Um, the whole the whole Janai invasion isn't going to happen. It couldn't happen because John's immediately going to set up an alpha and a beta site and nobody's going to be jet gating in straight to the city. From the very first day they arrive, that's going to be in process. So the Janai sneaking into the city um, is it just not possible. So that whole arc is just out the window. I don't see any reason to do that silliness. Um, and some of these things I'll kind of address um, later, like maybe the Jedi did try to get into the beta site um, and that it, then some people died. And I'll pick up that later in the series is explaining that that had happened when they're talking about um, um, major issues in, in, on the city. But so from there, I haven't quite decided if I want to hit any more of the episodes or any more of the events that are critical in the season. Um, Right now, my thought is I'm not inclined to. I'm inclined to just go straight to it's eight or nine months out and they're looking at the race coming down on their doorstep and they're having to decide what to do. And... um, John and um, John and Alex um, are really, really averse to abandoning the city, and they're really, really, really averse to blowing it up. So um, they're torn about what to do because they recognize that they need to evacuate, and their thought is to try to sink the city, but they also know they don't have much power to keep it underwater for very long. That if they were to sink it, it could mean the city's destruction in a very short amount of time. So they're, they're, they're torn about what to do and how to proceed. And um, we're sort of, she's sort of a, an, a, we'll kind of see then kind of how much she annoys John because she's always trying to insert herself into command, even though he's in charge. And she really is pushing for the destruction of the city, and John really doesn't want it. So we'll have that tension. And then at kind of at the point where they're kind of at a critical moment of decision, the gate's going to activate, and David's going to walk through with reinforcements um, so that they can hold the city until the Daedalus arrives in four days, which would be the canon time frame. Now, Matt's going to be on the Daedalus so he can fly an F-302 um, with the F-302 pilot. So David, because of course this is now very public, David can't punch John straight out because John outranks him. So <laughs> he's like, but he needs it. <laughs> he really needs that moment. So, 
Um, Alex isn't. Um, Al- I'm thinking Alex is not in the command. Is not in the room. He's w- working with Rodney on something. When David gets in, and uh, so he's like, I need to talk to you in private. And so they go into John's office, and the first thing David does is punch him. And he says, Where the fuck is my baby brother? <laughs> John's like, He's fine. He's fine. He's he's down in the lab, blowing shit up. So um, well, and then David's like, Well, I've got presents for him. Um, I brought, you know, nuclear warheads just for him. And so they have the whole – and that's how I'm going to have the contrast of David's reunion with Alex being like, oh, hey there, little brother, and gives him a big hug, and I've missed you, and how have you been, and I can't believe you let this idiot drag you out here into the ass end of space, and blah, blah, blah. But the bad news, of course, is that he has to re- relate to them that their father has died because that's the whole impetus for um, – um, him coming out there and looking for them. Now, one of the things I have to, this is one of the things that's a little bit odd, is that I might, for the third episode, actually do it more from David's point of view and focus on the, their father's death and reading O'Neill the Riot Act and trying to find their their brothers. Um, I'm kind of torn. Um, if that's interesting enough for an episode, what's going on on Earth and Patrick's death, or to cut back and forth between Earth and Atlantis and show a little bit of what's going on on Earth and a little bit of what's going on on Atlantis as kind of a... I, ha- but I have an opinion. I would like your opinion. <laughs> okay. So because your pilot is what it is, um, a good way to mark time and to separate out how much time has passed between them leaving Earth and um, what's happened... Uh, and then David and Patrick dying. I hate saying it. It was my idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he's not truly dead. Um, he's just reascended. Right. He's just reascended. That's much better than um, completely dead. He's nearly dead. He's almost dead. He's mostly dead. He's sort of. He's, he's floating. Mostly dead. Mostly <laughs> dead. <laughs> Would be is if your second episode skips ahead to David looking for his brothers because his father has died. This separates out all the, um, it just, it really sets the tone of your timeline and you don't have to, you know, no, Patrick dies. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it gives you a demarcation between them leaving Earth and David and Matt leaving Earth. And that way your first two episodes are both um, the, the Shepherd brothers having an exodus from Earth. Yeah, I like the, I like the parallel. So, anyway, that's my opinion. <laughs> I really like the, but I really like the parallel of jumping ahead in time and having David looking for them in the second episode. And, of course, they would be dated, but um, just giving that yeah. demarcation between um, them being on Atlantis uh, and then David on Earth and the date has changed. It's, it's, it's been almost a year or it's been a year. Um, he's had to bury his father without two of his brothers. I'm so mad at myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, Actually, at the top of that episode, I'm going to put blame Kira. <laughs> I'll leave my author's notes. I can't even take credit for that. That's all the blame. I deserve all the blame for that. <sighs> so, 
we do that for the second episode, then I would skip the whole, um, in terms of jump zone, I probably, the first episode then would probably end, um, I'd probably have the first um, episode end, because it would be a two-part episode, definitely be a two-part pilot. That would end with them on Atlantis, like a time skip with them on Atlantis and setting up the AR team. They've already woken the race, and John goes in and says, um, just have it end at that moment where John goes in and says, "Um, I want Rodney on my team, and Alex is like, dude, what the hell's your damage? (laughs) So just to show that they're on at last things to go, then do the time skip. You've got David trying to get to his brothers. I'm thinking that for that episode, the way I'd do it is that start at the funeral and have David and Matt at the funeral. And um, they're, they're both upset because they haven't been able to find Alex and, and um, John. And they've, David's raised the issue as far as he can. Um, and nobody's giving him any information about where his brothers are stationed. And they go back to the house after the funeral, so they'd be in Virginia, and they go back to the house after the funeral. And the next day, when they're considering how to handle the house and their father's affairs, O'Neill shows up um, to talk to them and explain what's going on because they're just getting it from all sides. And David started to get the family lawyers involved um, on finding his brothers, and they just needed to like, nip this in the bud. And then David would have the, well, by this point, um, I'm try- the one thing I'm uncertain about in that is, 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 is Patrick's death before or after Letters from Pegasus? Um, so is it before or after the expedition has managed to make contact? Because if it's before the expedition has managed to make contact, that's really kind of cruel. Um, But if it's after, the timeline that they're left on Earth is very short. I um, I would do it after. Um, because that gives O'Neill something to give David and Matt. Yeah, they've been in touch, and we're working on a reinforcement. This is what and we that got for when, you. And that that could be when David goes, so when do we leave exactly? Um, <laughs> and and anyway, have that, we, we don't really have the Navy right into this program. We have uh, the Air Force and Marines. <laughs> David goes, I'm in the Navy, and I'm red in, so problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> um, Behold the field where I grow my fucks and see that it is barren. Now, the timing of Patrick's death actually could be deliberate. It could just be not convenient because um, what I mean by that is that once um, once the, the base makes contact, um, Emma, I, I, I always have in my head that the name of um, their mother is Emma, but after Emma, um, she's paying attention to what's going on. So she knows that they are... Um, the Daedalus is almost ready, and that the expedition has made contact. And she could conceivably go to Patrick and say, it's, t- it's time. And Patrick stages his own death. Um, because he knows the timing is right for Ale- for, for um, 
I'm blanking on names for David and Matthew to be get involved with it with the whole thing. Um, so he could. Oh, I had an eat. idea about Patrick's death and the body issue. Okay, shoot. What if What if he has a plane issue. crash at sea? Oh. Planes disappear all the time in the ocean, and they never find them. And even if they found part of the plane, they wouldn't necessarily find the body. Right. Because if it broke up, the body would be so much seafood very mm. quickly. Yes, it would. I have a confession to make. I had this um, epiphany when I was watching this show, um, Destination America, about planes lost in the in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, that's what happened to Patrick's body. <laughs> and I wrote it down so I could tell you later. And then I forgot, but I remember just now. So see, everything could have meaning, <laughs> even when you're wasting time watching Destination Discovery. So Patrick, Patrick, and Emma, all this this information won't come out that it's deliberate. The timing won't come out until later. It's one of those things that when you're kind of crafting episodes, you kind of got to hold that information because it would come out when Patrick and Emma show up because they are after the boys claim the city. They, Patrick and Emma will show up and explain what's going on. And so, anyway, so so Dark says in the chat room. So. They get two dead parents with no remains. Are we trying to redeem the ancients or hate them more? Um, this is more of a the the end a means to an end. They're going to get their parents back. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, that could be. It could be that if Emma's going to, I'm going to have Emma. Um, I'm still, I'm still kind of waffling on Emma's death. I'm thinking it's probably going to be car accident, but um, like she went off a cliff or something. Two tragic accidents is kind of ridiculous, but hers actually is an accident. They never intended for her to die that early, but there's no way that Patrick, assuming there was a body, Patrick's not going to let his preteen and teenage children, young teenage children, see it. Their so the boys dead body. wouldn't know that there was no body for their mom. Yeah, they wouldn't know there was no body. Even if, even if there was no body, they wouldn't know it. So, um, so now, in contrast, David is really mad at John, but Matt is really mad at Alex <laughs> because that's how siblings close in age behave. Um, so, eventually, when we get to this episode where Alex Wayne, where Matthew winds up on the city, he's going to go and give John a hug and then start yelling at Alex. Why the fuck didn't you tell me? We've always shared each other's secrets. You took off for the ass end of space, and you didn't tell me, and you took John with you. And believe me, I know you were here first and all that kind of garbage. So um, Matt's going to give Alex So basically, Matt's going to accuse Alex of corrupting John. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? What did you do? So... <laughs> So once the once so once David walks through the gate, which would be my so I've got two episodes. The first episode a double, a double, but then the second episode is David and them. Um, and depending upon how much I put into that, because you could also in an episode do cutaways to um, Atlantis if there's something significant that I need to convey about what's happening on Atlantis at that moment, um, or and if there's or if there's just not enough plot with just David and Matthew's story which I think there will be for an episode, then I could go all the way to them arriving on Atlantis. But um, 
I'm a little bit hesitant to combine the arrival because there's so much in um, once David is on Atlantis that it's a weird thing to tack on to the end of an episode. Um, anyway, so the third episode would definitely focus on them arriving, um, how they're going to how they're going to hold the city for the four days um, until Atlantis is um, until until the Daedalus arrives, and. Um, so when the day, so things are gonna, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna write that episode quite a bit differently than we than it happened in canon. I thought that the way they handled the race invasion was really insane. Um, so um, they're not gonna recall so many people from the Alpha site because having civilians running all over the place who are not combat trained was just like, you know, race food. So. Um, also, more civilians will be combat trained, though, so because John's not going to let that kind of shit slide. So there'll be more. Um, it was better super trained. dumb. It was. So there'll be better. There'll be better trained um, civilian. Ass- the civilians will be better trained. Um, there'll be more military, and John's going to lock out big chunks of the city. He's not just going to leave the whole city open to. It's like you know, if the Wraith are going to be attacking. We fortify ourselves in a unified location as much as possible. And if they get into the city, um, we deal with what's in the sky first and protect the gate room. And if they get into the city, we clean them out later, not try to cover that enormous city and just leave everything open. I mean, the lack of fortification of their position in that invasion episode was just like, oh, my God. Um, Yeah, Derek says, because the idea that the Marines and the Air Force don't know how to engage in war is totally sensible. Right. <laughs> Especially since John's um, a heavy combat asset. He's just not going to be that foolish about the way he handles that. Um, and Alex likes to blow shit up, so um, a lot of Wraiths are going to die. And then the Daedalus is going to arrive when the Daedalus arrives in in, in cannon and Matt's going to be in one of the F302s shooting darts down because that's fun and that is funny as hell what children having a snowball fight know how to hunker down and fortify (laughs) that's the truth (laughs) we're going to have to put dark in the corner because she's making it difficult (laughs) (laughs) <clears throat> so, um, but you're not wrong. <laughs> but, but definitely, but you're definitely not wrong. So, I think that would conclude. Um, now, I could be an evil, 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 evil person and leave episode three on a cliffhanger. Which is the cliffhanger would be if I were being an evil, evil, evil person. Is that? Um, I'm actually going to have the reunion with Matt take place on the East Pier because the F-302s and the Daedalus are going to land and they're going to go out and meet Matt on the pier. So they're not going to meet for the first time in the control room because that's when everything will go weird. So if I were being truly evil and like wanting to do an evil cliffhanger, which I'm typically not a cliffhanger kind of person, um, I would have them go into the control room together and have the last words in that episode be, um, 
um, something like reclaiming protocol initiated. Do you wish to claim the city? And everybody's just like looking at each other like, what the fuck? What's going on? And let that be the last words said. But I don't think I'm really the cliffhanger sort. So I probably would have that be the first thing that happens in the fourth episode. So that will be so the episode where they claim the city. And my thought is that um, <laughs> Dark wanted me to be evil. <laughs> Give that cliffhanger. See, but it's not really a cliffhanger for people listening to the podcast because they're going to know what happens next. So, of course, she wants you to be evil. <laughs> <laughs> to all the unsuspecting readers who won't know what's coming. They're like, oh, my God, what is going on? So, you know, and just like in the Ghostbusters episode, if somebody asks you if you're a god, you always say yes. If somebody asks you, do you want to claim the city, you go, sure. So <laughs> it'd be really funny if, like, people other than them said yes, too. Like, everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Of course we do. We like this city. We want it. Everybody's like, actually, probably will do it. It's like, everybody's going to go, Sure. Um, but then when they, when they affirm that they want to, so in the episode where the city is claimed, um, the, um, the city, when they say yes, the city, um, refers to them by their gene number. Cause they have, they all have, um, nearly identical genes, but they, she called, the city calls John gene one and David gene two and Alex gene three and Matthew gene four. Um, so there's kind of like this evaluation period where the computer's just going to kind of buzz about and go, Gene one, defense and military. <laughs> and that wakes up John's AI, which is responsible for helping him do everything he needs to do to be in command of the military and defense of the city. And then um, the city's going to go, Gene two. And she's going to be, you know, David's going to be like, what? Because clearly he's the second brother. And it's going to be, um, she's going to go, city administration. And then Gene 3, and then Alex is going to have a fit and be like, you are not calling me Gene 3. And so Alex immediately, in, in, <laughs> yeah, Alex immediately insists that they all be addressed by their proper names. In the meantime, Elizabeth is having a fit. Um, of course she is. And Caldwell doesn't know what to do, but they can't stop Atlantis from doing whatever the fuck it's doing. So it says, um, so Alex says, I am not Gene 3. He's Jonathan. He's David. I'm Alexander. That's Matthew. And so the computer just pauses and says, Alexander, sciences. (laughs) (laughs) And Rodney goes, now what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And then the piece de resistance um, it, the computer pauses and goes, Matthew, judiciary. And Matthew goes, now, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew's responsible for any kind of um, judicial questions on the city. He's responsible for the laws, law enforcement. He's responsible for crime punishment. of, And he's like, what? I, I'm not suited to this. I'm a pilot. You can't make me responsible for judiciary. But each of them gets a separate AI, and so, um, yes, the, the AI, each of the AIs will have avatars um, once they get power. So at this point, the brothers, of course, there, there's, there'll be a lot of fallout and a lot of discussion about what the hell is going on, trying to figure out what's going on, why is this happening. And um, 
once things settle down, the brothers are like, we need to have a talk. We need to have a talk by ourselves. And the thing is, the brothers are all, um, at the moment that they um, set foot on the city together, one of the things that is not, um, they won't find out till later, is their parents have been paying attention. And the minute they were close to being able to unlock the city, their parents removed the mask on their DNA that blocked them from appearing like they were full ancients. Um, so that, at that moment, they felt more in touch with the city. But because they've now claimed, so they're, they're really down for this, even though so they feel like it's the right thing to do, even though it kind of flies in the face of their orders, what's going on. But one of the things that so they start talking with their avatars, um, the AIs, and one of the things that comes up is that this is around the time that they are aware the, the external sensors come back online, the deep space sensors come back online, and they find out there's like those 20 hive ships inbound. Um, Alex's AI and David's AI both point out to them that all they need to do is um, retrieve additional ZPMs um, in order to protect the city. And this is part of the information that's under um, the lock of the AIs is where those ZPMs are. So the brothers decide that it is too risky to just expose that they know where to go get a ZPM. So they kind of play it kind of quiet that Alex and I kind of have a method kind of worked out for how Alex is going to get off world um, and go get a ZPM and bring it back because he doesn't want them to know where he's gone. And so his AI, because his AI can completely control the computer system, his AI is able to dis disguise where he's been. Um, so that would be – so I think that episode where they kind of claim the city – I'm trying to decide if it's going to be a two-part arc. Um, no, it would be human-looking avatars, because I would want to cast the avatars. Because, like, talking tomatoes don't really do anything for me. <laughs> the, I think one of the funnest parts of Lantean Legacy was um, was casting the avatars. Yeah. I love the, I love the avatar cast. And, um, it was Theseus was was um, I think my favorite. He's not an avatar, but well, he's an av he's an avatar of of the ship. Yeah, Theseus does have an avatar, and and he will eventually show up again. And he's beautiful too. <laughs> yes. Oh no no no! Not I like animals. pretty things because they have to talk, and talking animals is just a little so too, creepy. It's a little bit too um, his dark materials, I guess. So no, it would be it would be human esque. Um, I think it's additional avatars can be created, and one of the first things um, Alex does is insists that Rodney get his own avatar because he refuses to be responsible for sciences that Rodney has to do it, and uh, that Rodney needs to have his own avatar. So he commissions an avatar, um, an AI just for Rodney. Um, and he instructs his avatar to be sure to make it extra snarky. So um, I'm thinking that the claiming of the city probably is going to take an entire episode, which means that the getting of the ZPM would be the next episode, where they plug it in, defend from the race, um, engage, are able to turn on the chair, get the drones being manufactured, and fight the race back, as opposed to the... 
weird Heidi thing they did. I mean, I guess they could still do the Heidi thing. I'm not certain if I want to go that route or not because they did the faking their own destruction thing in, in canon. Um, the advantage to the faking the destruction thing was that they were off the race radar for quite a while. Um, and it kept the r- more rays from coming because the rays seemed to have infinite capacity to send more. So, but on the other hand, if they have power and they know more rays could be coming, they could just change locations and move to a different planet. So I'll have to sort out which one of those methods I want to go with. Um, fight off those 20 hive ships or um, fight off the 20 hive, hive ships or hide and fake their own death. Do you have an opinion on which one seems like it would be smoother? Well, I guess it really depends on um, how much hostility they're going to get from Earth. Because, a lot of hostility. Um, I've, I've been looking at your list, and one of the fir- one of the reasons I moved Atlantis and Lantean Legacy was um, it was security for both against the Wraith and against Earth. They can't come get you if they don't know where you are. And they can't go fucking around searching the entire Pegasus galaxy for you either. So in your plot points, you have a plot point where they send assassins to Atlantis. That could be the breaking point, depending on when that happens, if, you know, per your Wraith invasion, that John says, you know what, fuck you, we're, we're leaving. Yeah. And the civilians in the city have decided if they want to go with or stay or, or leave on the data list. I think my think about the I think my think about the fracture between um, the city and Earth. Um, oh, I'm all t- t- tangled up in my cord. This is what happens when you go from a Bluetooth to a wired headset: is you move a lot and you gesture a lot, <laughs> and all of a sudden your cord is like all wrapped around you. Um, my think about the there's a few things I have to to consider. It's one of the things that's going to happen early on. Um, when they start getting pushed, because at first they're going to, the IOA is going to tell them they need to, to through Landry is going to tell them that they have to um, bequeath the city to the to to, to the people of Earth, and they they couldn't even do that if they wanted to, but they don't want to. They're like, fuck you, we're not letting you have our city. This is ours. <laughs> we're genes one through four. This is our place. Fuck you. So their parents once they claim the city. <laughs> So I actually have the plot point about their parents come back, one out of order. It actually would take place before because right after they um, claim the city, their parents are going to come to them and explain what's going on. So they're going to have a better idea that, you know, and they're going to have a lot to, to deal with, and so this is probably going to come in. They've got the critical tactical issues to deal with of protecting the city. And by now we're in episode four. This is when the parents would show up and say, you know, um, this is what we did. This is why we did it. You know, we can, we we're now that we're ascended again. You know, we can't really interfere, um, but we're watching and we'll be here for you. And you know, we can visit, but we can't. You know, we can't really interfere at this point. The city is yours. Um, we trust you to do what you do the right thing with it. So they have a very they're very vested in um, that this is what their parents wanted and that they feel very at home in the city, and they don't 
want to just give up. They're not prepared to just give up control of it. So the, the next thing that the SGC tries to do, and a lot of it's the IOA driving this, is they order all four of them to come back through um, the gate for debriefing, and all four of them refuse. And um, so the SGC um, says, says that they have um, – I'm trying to decide what the actual military charge would be if them, for them refusing an order like that. Um, it, it's definitely insubordination, but um, if they've been ordered back and they're refusing to go, I don't know if it actually crosses the line to treason, but. Desertion, AWOL, yeah, dereliction yeah, of duty. Yeah, one of those. It's insubordination. So what they would do is they all are going to, um, they're going to they're gonna order, um, the SEC is going to send orders to Caldwell um, and to Lorne that Lorne is to take command of the expedition and Caldwell is to arrest all four of the brothers. Um, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Um Lauren goes flat out, goes straight to John and tells him what the SGC has said. And, um, okay, so episode with two, episode arc of getting to Atlantis, episode th- then episode two, the brothers, episode three, um, I mean, David, David and Matthew, episode three, the reunion, episode four, reclaiming the city. Um, and defending it. Okay, so then, now we're into episode five. So in episode five is when the SGC makes its move. Um, come back. They tell them to give up the city. They say no. They say come back. They say no. They tell Caldwell and Lorne to, to take over and arrest them and bring them back. Um, Lorne goes straight to... Um, um, John, and tells him that he doesn't feel right about this order because Lauren is also a gene carrier, so he feels very good on the city and he likes John. And he tells him, and John says, "Well, you have the option of, you know, just staying here. You don't have to. You can defy that order. We'll protect you. You can live here. You don't have to go back to Earth if you don't want to. Um, but if you want to try to arrest me, you can. <laughs> feel free to try." <laughs> Um, because the avatars, the avatars are watching everything. They're paying attention to everything, and they can lock people in rooms. Um, they don't have to um, um, let any kind of arrest happen. Any technology on Atlantis can be shut down um, by the avatars, and so they are sort of. But also, Rodney is very much on John's side. So he's already gone to John and said that I will support whatever you want to do. So he is not going to help with the SGC resting control of the city from the brothers. So episode five is going to be the big um, dramatic moment leading up to the brothers all resigning from their commissions and saying, screw you, and here's the deal. Because I'm thinking that um, Caldwell's move would be to try to beam them aboard the Daedalus. And that's one thing I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to counter that that move. Because if he beams them aboard the, aboard the Daedalus, we're screwed. 
or I'm screwed, not we, I'm screwed, because I can't let that happen. I have to have it not happen in a plausible way. So either Hermiod refuses to do it, or the city somehow is able to block beaming technology. And if they have more power, it's conceivable that there could be a way that they could block the Asgard beam. Because the ancients had the Asgard, with the Asgard were a kicker for me in Atlantean Legacy because the Asgard have a stupid amount of power power that can step right through a gate shield, and the only way I could figure out to neutralize the Asgard was to make their treaty with the ancients ironclad, because the ancient was was part of the five races, the the four races, so. In order to kind of neutralize the Asgard in that respect, I had to bring that into play. That there was already a relationship there, and the Asgard weren't going to risk that. So it's, it's sort of a, even though they have a, agreements with um, the SGC or with Earth, that the treaty with the ancients is longer standing and has more weight. Yeah. That was all that I could think of, because otherwise the Asgard were really helpful in a lot of ways they probably shouldn't have been with the SGC, and it would have been really difficult for them to fight off the Asgard and the SGC together. So I had to neutralize the um, Asgard in in that respect. And I may have to go that route, that that the avatars um, upload information to um, Hermiod to let him know... um, um, that the four brothers are full ancients, and that um, they expect um, them to be treated by the Asgard under the ancient the treaty with the ancients. And so Hermiod just was like, "I can't beam them aboard this ship," and refuses to do it. Um. So I think other than Elizabeth, most of the expedition is going to be not wanting to be cooperative with, I mean, there's going to be individual people like, you know, I don't think Kavanaugh ever made it on the expedition. I didn't want to deal with him. So he's like one of those people who just didn't make it on the expedition because John's like, if Rodney says he's an idiot, he's an idiot, get somebody else. Um, and and also his brother, his own brother is going to have an opinion. And Alex is going to tell him, don't let that idiot on the expedition. And John's going to be like, okay. Um, so... If most of the city isn't cooperating with the SGC, it's going to be very hard for them to get this order to bring them, or, you know, get them arrested and bring them back. So at this point, I'm thinking O'Neill gets involved on Earth. So we're in. Ep- this is all going down episode five. O'Neill gets involved and he wants to have a conversation um, with John um, about what the hell is going on and how can they resolve the problem. And John's like, well, you could quit trying to take my city. That would be great. You know, that would be like the first step here is that, you know, we have things we can offer you, but you're going to have to quit trying to take our city away um, from us and quit trying to get us out of it because we're not coming back to Earth and we have nothing there and we are not um, giving you our city. And one of the things that they have to negotiate with is ZPMs because um, where they went to get the ZPM to help defend the city during the influx of the hot, one reason why they kept that secret is because they knew it was a potential bargaining chip that they could offer power to the SGC, power to the Daedalus, 
Um, so they open up the idea of we can help you, but you're going to have to play ball and leave us alone. We are welcome to this continuing to be a, a scientific expedition and staffed by you folks, but you aren't responsible for the city. The city belongs to us. So there. Thoughts? I One of the lines that I really worked hard to, to walk in Lanting Legacy was um, – one of the things I hated most about, uh, like the Tolan and the ancients in um, the SG in, in in SG one, was the arrogance, the quiet, um, better than you arrogance. Um, that just kind of flowed right out of all those people, you know. And um, so I tried to instill in John, especially in John, the desire to. Um, To to keep the connection with Earth, and I think that all the brothers would want that. I think they want Earth to continue staffing the expedition, but I think their back got up right away because I think it's realistic that the IOA would just demand that they turn over the city, um, and they've just been unreasonable left, right, and center, not willing to talk to them, thinking they can order them because they're U.S. military assets, and they think they can just tell them what to do. And they're not understanding it from their perspective that things are different um, now, that they are they are ancients. And I need one of the things I still need to work out is what abilities each of them have, because the ancients have a lot of abilities. Um, so I have to sort of sort that out. I think the only person, I think... Um, people outside of Landry and um, the IOA are going are to be amenable to um, keeping the expedition running with the brothers in control of the city. Um, but I think the IOA, from what we see of them in canon, is not going to be flexible about that because they were kind of bossy and horrible. Um, and, and very intent on and, greedy. Yeah. They were greedy. Um, yeah, I'm always willing to make the Canadians be the good guys. So, like, the Canadian representative on the IOA could be the voice of reason, but... Um, but also, a lot of people, um, a lot of military leaders have a... Um, burn it in the salty earth um, uh, viewpoint wherein if we can't have the city of the ancients we're not letting you keep it ouch oh my god Barbara because <laughs> that's a plot point coming um Oh, that's, that's yeah, but we can't talk about that. Um, no, <laughs> that's a plot point coming in Atlantean Legacy that there are elements on Earth that believe that if um, they can't have Atlantis, then nobody should. Yeah. Well, also one of the things that I kind of want to kind of lead into 
that they also have to negotiate with. Because one of the purposes of Atlantis was to help fight the Ori. Um, now, the Ori nonsense wasn't wrapped in Season 9. It took two years for that crap to get wrapped up, right? I think so, yes. I'll, yeah. I'll have to yeah. double check. I think I think it was a two year arc on the Ori. I, I actually only watched like a couple episodes and read a bunch of summaries because I so objected to that stupid plot line. Um you know, an enormous religious cult tries to take over the galaxy. I couldn't deal. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I was a faithful Stargate watcher. It was a little disconcerting for me too. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Somehow it was worse than a whole bunch of individuals running around and pretending they were gods. It was worse. Oh, much worse actually, because false gods, you know, that's Ghostbusters, right? But, um, but that whole cultish mentality taking over the 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 universe <laughs> when they started that plot line with the Ori, I just was like I think I just lost the TV show <laughs> I lost part of my weekly entertainment that's what you want to do is, is is that really what you're going to do there really <laughs> you yeah. didn't even know what to do with it I'm like really are you sure so one of the things they're going to have to negotiate with is one of the things Alex does is weapons development. And he's been out there poking around Pegasus looking at new minerals and stuff, and he's invented a new explosive, um, which, you know, is going to give John gray hairs that Alex spends so much time out on the South Pier blowing shit up. <laughs> <laughs> so John, I need to borrow a jumper. I'm going to the <laughs> mainland. What I have planned is too big for the city. <laughs> Okay, I need. To, I gotta make note of that because that's fucking hysterical. John, can I take a jumper to the moon? That third one up there. <laughs> it could be actually. I need to. I need to do that. We were talking about. We were talking. You and I were chatting the other night about um, dead planets. What did you call them? Yes. Um. Um. They're orphaned planets. Orphaned planets. Orphan. Orphan planets. And they're dark. So, yeah. yeah, dark orphan planet. Um, and I need to. I think what maybe it would be hysterical is to have a scene where um, Alex and Rodney really want to try out a new bomb that they've. Because Alex worked on the explosive, and he and Rodney have designed um, the actual de- mechanism for you know the the detonation, and they designed this new weapon, but they want to test it. But they're pretty sure the yield is going to be too big to test on the planet, so. They find a um, orphan planet, and they get tell John, "We, we want to go and like, you know, test this on an orphan planet, please." And John's like, "Oh my God, you too!" And so un- they weren't expecting. So they, they they set the bomb, they set the timer, they get in the jumper, they go into space, and the whole planet blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Huh, cool. Well, that, well, that worked better than we expected." <laughs> And so, um, I need a solar system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the planet thing worked great. <laughs> oh, shit. That, that amused the hell out of me. Mm. That is funny. So, 
what, so they they come up with some stuff that they can. Um, so once the SGC kind of calms down and and um, O'Neill steps back in as the voice of reason, and I'm I'm kind of thinking the Asgard might also step in as the voice of reason on this. Um, but I'm I'm a little bit ambivalent about the. Um, 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 Asgard getting involved, but you know O'Neill steps in and pulls Landry out of the negotiations and tells the IOA to shut up, and the president tells him to shut up too. Um, and so they they done some serious negotiating, and um, John says, "Look, we can offer you. We we can we can we can help. We want to help Earth. You know, we don't want to see what's happening with the Ori happen. We have made some advancements in weapon design here." We want to help you, but you're going to have to negotiate with us. So they begin a negotiation, and um, they uh, um, agree to um, help supply them with with some weapon um, research and with a couple of ZPMs, one for the data list, so it can make it a little and maybe if I think the I gotta remember, I gotta check which ships are still available. So maybe um more power for the various ships and one for the SGC. And so they seem to have worked out a truce. So that episode will end with things seem to be calming down. And life is um kind of goes on. So the next episode, um I think I want the next episode to be so this would be episode six. Um, I think I want to kind of bring um, the tension down a little bit because I could go straight to the assassination attempt, but um, I think I want to have um, a little bit of dip in that action and work a little bit on character dynamics in this episode. Um, So episode six, I need to figure out exactly what the arc is. It'd probably be something... Around um, um, maybe Matt and Evan getting together, thinking about getting together. Ooh, I love that. You know, that's my favorite pairing. I kind of regret um, the pairing I have in what might have been for Matt. Was that Cameron? Yeah. What I might have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I just can't, I I can't put Matt and Evan on the, on the same city um and and not have them falling into each other's beds. So um <laughs> So that happened. So that happened. <laughs> so cuz I do want to kind of cuz I'm going to be kind of John and Rodney are going to get together um before the um before everything blows up. So that's going to kind of already be a little bit early stages for them, but in process. So that's part of, um, so that's kind of going to be, there's going to be kind of hints of that in the episodes, kind of cutaways to scenes where John and Rodney are talking privately about things. And um, and then and then we can move into a Matt, an arc with Matt and Evan in, in episode six and kind of focus more on Matt um, and what's going on with him and, you know, maybe how Evan is doing, how he feels about um, basically potentially cutting ties with Earth because he's determined to support um, John on the city rather than follow, you know, carry out orders he doesn't believe in. So he's, cons- I think Evan's probably considering 
resigning his commission as well because he feels like he can't um he's in a compromised position um ethically where what he believes to be right for the mission he's on could be um in conflict with his orders. So I think he's considering resigning his commission and that probably will all come to a head in that episode of whatever decision he makes. Um Um, I'm thinking about earlier in the season when um, part of the information that's unlocked um, is by the by the avatars is the AIs is how to um, enhance somebody with a partial ancient gene um, to make their genes stronger, um, and I think that's probably has something to do with like the ancients bringing um, people who were partially because um, they seeded the solar system, right? Um, they like wanted to spread their seed far and wide. So if they were bringing people back into the fold who had a weakened gene, they probably had a way of strengthening it so people were more comfortable in the city. And that research is probably buried in under the lock of the um, AIs. So it's possible that they could improve life for the people who have the gene, who um, make them make them closer to ancient, but not full ancient. So I'm thinking there's going to be some gene um, research in there. We also need to keep in mind that ancients have a host of mental abilities. Yeah, and that's one of the things I've got to go look up. That's one of the things I have in my notes, just to look up what abilities they have, because I need to figure out which abilities each of the brothers have. Um, because that one woman demonstrated hands-on healing. Um, O'Neill uh I think he did telekinesis at one point. Yeah, I just want to figure out who's going to have what. Because I kind of want to, I have kind of a perverse sense of humor. So a lot of times I pick stuff that, um, um, I I pick stuff that is is suitable for the plot, but also suitable for, um, to amuse me. So like it would kind of amuse me if, Alex, who blows shit up, is the one with the healing ability. Um, I think that'd be kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't want to touch those people. No. (laughs) Um, Or make John have the healing ability. That'd probably be even funnier. Because he'd really be like, I don't want to touch people. I don't want to go down the infirmary. I don't like that place. He really doesn't want to touch people. I touch Rodney, not other people. (laughs) That's just all kinds of wrong. Um, yeah, I think O'Neill will come to Atlantis once um, the SGC has enough power to dial the gate. Um, and that's actually something they'll have to address, is if they give the um, SGC enough power to dial the gate, the SGC potentially has enough power to... Um, send through a huge amount of troops. So John will have to make that. That greatly depends on whether or not they stay on the planet. Because if they move to a different planet, they won't even have Atlantis' gate address. Right, and they are going to move planets. I want that actually to happen after the assassination attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, because once um, once they move, if they stay in touch with Earth, um, somebody's eventually going to leak the gate address for Atlantis. Um, 
back to the SGC. So I think that's going to be a case of, you know, John being really clear with um, O'Neill. It's like, don't put me in the position of having to close the gate and close the shield on your people. And it's ugly, but it's an ugly threat. Um, but I think if he, I think he, you know, he would have to be really. Um, and I don't think O'Neill would put his people at that risk. And I don't think he would test John. Um, there are people who would. There are people who would test John's resolve um, on that matter. On the other hand, they could work on a backup system where that they don't tell anybody about. It could be one of Alex and Rodney's projects where if they initiate a certain protocol that everybody who comes through the gate gets stunned. But also, there's no gating directly to Atlantis. They have to gate to the beta site. So that will be one of the security protocols that other than that once the SGC um, – that's one. Okay, so that's that. I'm sorry. I said I just solved part of my own problem. Is that um, it's sort of partially solved? Is that John will make sure the SGC knows that after they do that gate last gate in, that all future that in the future they won't open the shield for anybody who's not coming in for the beta site. But I do like the idea of Alex and Rodney um, rigging up a um, stunning system where if too many people are coming through the gate and they don't want to take that step of closing the shield on them, that it just starts stunning the fuck out of everybody who comes through. Until they just have a big heap of bodies. Okay? Oh, you were, that's actually really funny. A whole fountain of bodies in front of the gate. So, did you not invade again? <laughs> <laughs> Those assholes. <laughs> but what I was thinking was, is um, that instead of... Um, now, John's avatar is in control of the military, right? He's the. What if he could decide whether or not the gate even connected? What if the only gate in Pegasus that can. Any gate, anywhere, ever, that can connect to Atlantis without his permission is the Alpha Gate or the Beta Gate, which is whichever one you want to use? And any other time, they could be he could route them other places. Oh, that'd be funny. So they send up, um, to, for, and they get stuck on planet Hoth. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to get to the alpha site and confess what they tried to do. <laughs> Someone asked, is the beta site an outpost? I'm not sure I understand. Is it an ancient outpost, or is it an Earth-built? Um, no, I think. Well, I'm thinking eventually it's going to change. They're going to pick an outpost for the beta site, but the one that's going to be established um, during the the course of the um, that year when they're out of touch is um, going to just be an Earth-made stopover place um, with security protocols to make sure that people who aren't authorized don't get on the city. Um, so I like that idea of that the that the the AI for the the AI for um, can't like because the ancients would keep that information secret. Um, the method by which they can divert, um, and the SGC could even ask for it. So we understand you've got a method for diverting people who are dialing into your gate. We like to understand that protocol, and John's like, "Fuck you." No, that's the only way I'm keeping you out of my city. 
Well, I think even if they did know how, they wouldn't be able to influence Atlantis without access to their computers. Right. And to the and avatar. They're going to try over and over and over again. And, the, uh, and, of course, they can't because with, you know, all these AIs paying attention to every single thing that happens on the city, nothing electronic is going to get past their notice. I'm making a note. So if they come to a tentative truce in Episode 5, we'll see a little bit more of that truce and how things are going in episode six, which will mostly focus on Matt and Evan kind of getting together. And um, then in episode seven, I'm thinking episode seven. Um, I One of the things you kind of, kind of have to balance is I've got four brothers and I've got to kind of check in with each of them periodically. Not like on some kind of, rhythmic rotation or something like that. But I wouldn't want to write like four episodes and, and not have David be in them. That would just be weird. Um, so I'm thinking David's primarily the poor, 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 poor person who has to deal with Elizabeth. Because since city administration falls under his purview, um, that that a lot, of, a lot of includes some of the stuff that um, um, Elizabeth is all up in. Um, Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. So um, there'll be like you know scenes of pulling. There'll, there'll be like a plot arc for David, and a plot arc for John and Rodney, and a plot arc for Matt, and a plot arc for um, Alex. And once I once I des- the character arc for each of them. Once I have decided on the character arc for e- each of them, is when I'm plotting each episode a little bit more minutely than I can do here on the show. Um, I figure out which episodes I'm going to feed in pieces of information that builds on their character arc. Um, so David's arc will be kind of, you know, John John and Rodney's is kind of forefront in my mind right now because I'm sort of planning it from John's point of view. Um, but I will, when I finalize the plot, I will finalize it looking at the whole plot from each character's point of view, each of the four brothers' point of view to make sure that I have the right points that I feed their their plot line into the episodes. And not every episode will touch on each of their plot lines, but you know what I mean. So the ultimate kind of direction this is going, and once I get past episode seven, because I'm sort of thinking about episode seven now, but once I kind of get past where I am right now, um, I'm a little bit murkier on how the episodes are going to come together because I know the next major plot point I want to get um, in is that what happened to my plot document? There it is. Um, is I want the assassins to come. Um, the IOA um, sneaks in assassins. Um, to try to kill whichever brother they can get a hold of, as many of the brothers as they can kill. And, of course, that gets foiled. Um, that doesn't, doesn't, they don't wind up being able to kill anybody. But it infuriates John, because I'm thinking they probably get pretty close to killing one of the younger brothers. Um, and John oh, just... I had, a terrible, I had a terrible idea. Okay, I love terrible ideas. What if... 
the assassin tries to kill Alex, and Rodney takes a bullet for him. Oh. <laughs> I'm making notes. That's why I'm here. It's my job. That's awesome. Job's going to be so bad. I know, right? I mean, of course she wouldn't kill Rodney, but do you just imagine how fucking furious John would be that not only this asshole tried to kill his baby brother, but he did succeed in shooting his Rodney. (laughs) (laughs) You shot my Rodney. I like that. You shot my astrophysicist. Meanwhile, the assassin's head's on one side of the room and his body's on the other. Yeah. And, of course, of course, Alex is going to be pissed. Pissed because Rodney's his bro. And, you know, they're like buds. And um, he uh, he's probably a little bit annoyed with Rodney, too. It's like, why would you take that bullet from me, you asshole? You made me worry about you. I can heal from this faster than you can. Um, that's like being mad at somebody who saves your life. Um, <laughs> so, John, this is, when John makes, this is when John makes the decision. John, John and David. Um, oh, I forgot. There's going to be a moment when it's going to be a kind of a funny moment with the um, with the AIs. When the AIs all show up in their avatar form, they have a little discussion the first time. And one of the discussions is they're trying to decide who's in charge. And they're not literally saying that. What they're doing is they're spitting out facts. And the question is, the question what they're trying to determine is, are we at war? And so the AIs are going to have this little conversation um, about the current condition of the city and the threat that is looming, and does this qualify as a state of war? And the AIs will all concur that that it qualifies as a state of war. And so they're going to then turn to John, and they'll be like, Jonathan, do you agree that we are in a state of war? And John's going to be like, yeah. And then to David, like, do you agree that we are in a state of war? And David's going to be like, uh-huh. <laughs> so it's going to have this ridiculous conversation. But what they don't know is by their agreement, they've determined that John is more in charge than David is. Because as a city administrator, normally David would be in command of the city. Um, but because they've agreed... To, amongst, amongst themselves, that they're in a state of war, they basically have just authorized the avatars to give John full command of the city because he's in charge of the military. So anyway, so John um, is going to then decide, we're moving the city. <laughs> it, it, it's portable for a reason. So um, pack your bags. We are moving to a different planet because I'm having no more of this, and we're not going to tell the Daedalus where we are. So if the Daedalus... They don't need to know. That's right. So the Daedalus needs to come back and forth. They have to go to um, the Alpha site or the Beta site, and I have to figure out which one. But um, so they're gonna. That's gonna be John. Sort of. I'm done. You tried to kill. You people tried to sneak in and kill um, my brother. You nearly killed my lover. And I'm through being nice about this whole situation. Um, good luck finding us. Now, they're still going to maintain, um, that's when they're going to have, I'll probably have to do a whole episode after the assassination attempt on what's left. Because um, 
people who can't be loyal to the city, um, John's going to be like, you know, we will continue to let your people run um, a scientific expedition out here, but they're going to have to go back and forth from – I've got to work out the security issues of them going back and forth from the beta site. Because only people John trusts would be able to dial up from the beta site, dial Atlantis. So it's conceivable that nobody ever gets the new gate address outside of people John implicitly trusts, or actually outside of the avatars. Um, the AIs may be the only ones who ever have the gate address for Atlantis. He may not even trust it to people in the military he thinks he trusts, or that he would normally trust. He decides not to trust anybody with it so that they can stay relatively protected. Um, Anyway, um, so they're going to have to redefine sort of mission parameters about what, what's gonna, what, what it's going to be like working with Earth and letting Earth continue to look for what it wants to do and carry on its scientific mission out there. But I think a lot of the military is going to just defect. They're just going to resign and say, we're staying out here. Um, I'm thinking maybe like uh, of the ones that are there, like maybe the ones that came out, like maybe half, decide that they're just going to stay out there on Atlantis. Um, and they go through that same kind of sort of wrestling with their conscience thing that Evan had to go through where he had to decide if he could deal with the conflict of interest between where he between John and um his military um commanders. So and most and well, I know those that can't will will resign and just stay on Atlantis as part of the military force for Atlantis. But um so the, the last, as the tail end of the season, will focus on um, kind of negotiating a new trust. The falling action, the climax of the season, um, and we're at season set, we're around episode seven or eight. So the climax is the assassination attempt and John saying "fuck you, people," and moving the city, and then um, fuck all y'all. Yeah, fuck all y'all. So then in the falling action, I want to see, because I don't think, as mad as John would be, I don't think he would truly turn his back on Earth at that point. I think if they tried anything stupid again, um, he'd be like, enough. And I think the fact that he moved the city and the Daedalus can't find it is going to be um, a major source of, um, like, a wake-up call. So back on Earth... um, they're going to remove Landry um, from the position and bring somebody new in um, to try to manage things a little bit more um, carefully. And they're going to have a, you know, the IOA is going to get control of its people because it's sort of like we're risking losing um, potential, huge potential scientific and military um, technological advances by being stupid. So you got a guy's got to get under control. I always hated the IOA. But um, so O'Neill's going to spearhead getting them under control, and maybe the, the representative from Canada gets to take over. I sort of like the representative from Canada getting to take over the world because we need to just introduce quietly and own. very politely. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I'll take that. Um, Thank you. That's my seat. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I think, um, so that'll be the falling action, and I kind of want to get Ronan. Two, because now here's here's my conflict. Is my initial thought for this would be um, towards the end of this episode season is we've got we bring Ronan in in one of these episodes, one of the later 
in, in the falling action, and sparks are flying between him and Alex. That's the simpler plot choice. I have recently developed a major boner for Alex Caldwell. And <laughs> me too. That is got I'm sporting so much ladywood over here for that. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, that's got so much but that's got a lot of plot complication if I um put him with Caldwell. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> So I, I started off with my thought process of what would be Ronan. Um, because if Alex likes to blow shit up, um, and this Alex does, he really does like blowing shit up, um, he's going to find someone like Ronan really appealing, and Ronan's going to find somebody like Alex really appealing. Um, because he's kind of, you know, dangerous. So I, that was my initial thought, but then I kind of had got infected by this Caldwell Alex Plot bunny, and I was like, I don't. That's not my that. fault. I don't think. I, no, it was it was a it was just no, an aside. It wasn't my fault. I was giving an example um, on of how to plot a season in, on, on the forum, and it was a Tony goes to Atlantis as agent afloat idea, and I just threw out as an aside that um, it would that that Tony and Caldwell would be knocking boots during the whole eighteen day trip. Just because and it was just a throw out of that. It's just like a lit and um and the idea got stuck in my head and I was like, I need to read that. I need I need that to actually happen. And so I started <laughs> trying to write a short, a prompt response where the two of them got together, but it kept getting I kept getting it got kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, Okay, so I, I started writing a story with Caldwell and Tony together and and I was like, Okay, I'm really digging this like really digging it, um, and um, and it's just like it's incepted my brain that, that I want those two to be banging. So, um, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose to do a threesome with Ronan Caldwell and, and Alex. Um, anyway. So I, that's a decision I'd have to I have to make fairly early on, because it would change my dynamic with Caldwell um, quite dramatically if he's got a boner for one of the Shepherd brothers. Yeah, because if he if it is Alex, he's known Alex for a long time. Yeah, that could have been having a secret, delicious, illicit fair for years. <laughs> <laughs> and they send Caldwell out to. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, so it would change the dynamic of the season quite a bit because Caldwell would be like they're um, playing like he was playing along with the SGC, but secretly he's not going to do anything to put Alex in danger. Um, so, you know, it's just it's one of those, it's like i got to make a decision early in the plotting process. I guess on a decision, because like I wrote a story where I knew the setup of how the, the characters were going to meet, like didn't I was debating between like three different romantic partners, but the setup for how I got to the romantic partner was always the same, so it didn't have any impact on the writing up until the point where I had to decide who was going to be strong up at the door. Um, but this is different. This changes the dynamic dramatically. I can't decide late in the season that Alex and Tony are going to get together because 
if Caldwell has been trying to take over the city on behalf of the IOA, Alex isn't going to get in bed with him. You know, it's just he's going to no. probably hate the guy. So it's one of those decisions that I have to um, – And actually, that could be a very funny dynamic because Alex has managed to hide this from his brothers um, if he is involved with Caldwell. And they keep worrying about the risk that Caldwell poses. And Alex is like, don't worry about Stephen. He's fine. And they're finally they're like, what the hell? What do you know that we don't? And it's like, he's not going to do anything to hurt me. And it'll be like David who twigs into it first. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't he a little over you? <laughs> <laughs> Mind your own. <laughs> um, Caldwell isn't snaked until season two. Um, he's not snaked all along. Um, no, that was that happened. Um, uh, it, I want to say it was fairly mid to late season two, but I could be wrong about the timing. Um, so no, that's not a factor at, at this point. Um, but with if Caldwell was snaked, um, Alex would certainly know. Dark mm-hmm. <laughs> Caldwell reports the whole mess to O'Neill and tells him to fix it so he can get laid. <laughs> Just saying, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm pretty clear on the episodes up to season episode seven, um, up through episode seven. Um, I'm thinking the falling action, because episode seven would be the assassin episode, um, and I'm thinking that up that seven would be the climax of the season, and then we've got um, eight, nine, and ten. Approximately would be the falling action, um, you know, how everything kind of falls out for everybody moving the planet, I mean, not moving the planet, yes, let's move the planet, moving the city, um, renegotiating with um, the SGC, well, um, Rodney could with the proper equipment. <laughs> <laughs> he could. He could. If those guys on Scorpion can reverse the flow of a river, I'm sure Rodney <laughs> move a planet. Move a fucking planet. <laughs> Doris Presley written the whole story in here. <laughs> she it has it. It's hysterical. So, anyway, so are there, are there any questions in the chat room about actual what the whole point of this plot drift was, which was to show, or episode drift, which was to show how to take a um, an, an idea, like a novel idea, a plot arc, and break it into episodes, where each one has its own beginning, middle, end, and is, is its own story. And I needed water because I had talked myself hoarse. So I muted <laughs> for a minute while I drank furiously. So I think that the important thing is when you have an idea, because I know some people um, have, have expressed concern about how to construct um, 
like a TV series or whatever. And when we talk about episodes, we talked about this in the forum. We're not necessarily talking about making a, a TV show, although you could look at it that way. Um, yeah, you can have major time shifts. Um, um, like if you look at some shows like Teen Wolf um, is actually expanded time because isn't Teen Wolf like takes four years to tell one year or something like that? Well, and twenty four yeah, yeah. is condensed. Is is um, twenty four is the opposite? You have an entire season that only takes place over one day. So how you maneuver time around is um, completely up to you. I told also, a twenty four hour or it's actually a twenty five hour timeline um, in one of my episodes of Ties That Bind as a writing experiment for myself, where every hour of the day was a different scene. It was challenging, <laughs> to bet. say the least. <laughs> it was um, time after time. Mm. And Ties That Bind is told over a 25-hour day. Um, for Atlantis, has 24-hour day, 20, 25-hour days, um, and each hour is a separate scene, moving them towards the moment when John is informed that he has to return to Earth for house trial. Okay. I don't know that I had picked up that that was that that was. I, mean, I knew it was one day. I just don't think I had absorbed the twenty five scenes. Of course, I don't. Well, I told it. Scenes, in a, I'm pretty sure that I did it one hour after another. I would have to look, but I'm pretty sure I well, did. Yeah. I read time after time. Um, I mean, I I vaguely remember the plot arc of that episode, that that episode of the, of the show series, but that that and the episode that you wrote right before it, I read about two weeks before I had my head injury. So you know, <laughs> I yeah. I forgot I forgot a way a lot more than what happened than <laughs> I forgot my own writing. Um, but anyway. Um, so that you can, the point is you can kind of do what you want. But think about all the shows you have watched where the pilot sets up something that happens in the past, and then at the end of the pilot it goes like six months later, and you see well, the there's, person. There's a there's an episode of Sherlock where they show John and Sherlock moving through a whole year, and they're doing it by. Um, John's sweater, it, it goes from like a regular sweater to a Christmas sweater. Um. <laughs> Which was sort of brilliant, visually brilliant to do it that way. So. Yeah, but like there, I think, wasn't it the, um, um, was it the, was it the fall? No, not the fall. That one with Kevin Bacon. Um, where it starts um, in the past, it starts with his his first experience with the guy, the serial killer, and then it's you know, and then it jumps oh, to like six months following. later. The following. The following. The following. Yeah, and then it jumps to like six months or a year later. So, yes, and in, in, now procedurals. A lot, a lot of procedurals don't do big time skips. Um, it's sort of not their formula, but you don't have to follow a procedural formula. You can do whatever the hell you want to do that makes your timeline make sense. And there are really ambiguous time skips in Stargate canon.
really ambiguous time skips. There have been times I've tried to figure out what the timeline is just for seasons one and two, and it's like it can't sort it out. It's like you've, got, you've actually got like three months of wiggle room on the timeline, um, at maybe four. It's like, well, I could move this three months out, pretend like there was three months between those events, or I could make those events 24 hours apart. It's that ambiguous. So um, address the timeline <laughs> however you want. And you can tell she's not thrilled with it. <laughs> No, I I have a problem with timelines. It's an issue for me. If I have to sometimes getting it was it was like a personal growth moment when I was able to say that I adjusted a timeline. But I felt like I needed to call it out. Like I adjusted a timeline by a couple of months. Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. Putting your episodes together. Um, before you start thinking about episodes, as Kira mentioned at the start, the first thing you have to think about is what your overall plot arc is. So I know where I start, and I know where I'm going to end. And I know what the major arc is for the plot, and I know what the major arc is for each of my four characters. And then it's a matter of taking all of that information and breaking it up into pieces that are their own story and I know for people who aren't plotters what I would suggest is that you know the overall arc make sure it's something you can tell in the number of words even if you don't plot it just you still gotta know it make sure you can tell it the number of words that you are planning to hit try to achieve so you know you're going to write four five thousand word episodes that's your plan Make sure you don't have a 100,000-word story. And then, if you need to, plot each episode right before you write it. You don't, if, you do, if you can't plot all the episodes at once because that's overwhelming, plot them one at a time when you're ready to write them. And what I would also like to point out to you is that um, There are varying degrees of plotters. Um, there are those who go so deep they do a scene map. I have been known to do a scene map. I don't always do a scene map, but I do consider myself a plotter. Um, I usually uh, avoid doing a scene map unless I'm having to put a lot of foreshadowing into a, the, the front of a of a project. So if I'm going to do a lot of foreshadowing and a lot of... Um, a character movement that I want to have a certain tone. I'll do scene mapping to make sure I hit all those points. But for the most part, when I'm building a chapter or an episode, I build my plot with all my plot points. And I separate my plot points out into chapters or episodes, depending on um, what I'm going to accomplish. And so I can go into a chapter thinking I need to have Harry meet Dumbledore. I need Harry to go to the library and see this. I need Harry to go to the infirmary and do this. And then just, you know, then I do my writing. And that is just as legitimate as doing a scene map. It's still plotting. And my process is a lot like what you just described. Because the one I've I've done scene maps, and I've mentioned this on another episode, the reason why I don't do them deliberately, even when I need to foreshadow, is because when I get that detailed, I've told the story in my head, and I'm bored with it. And I have seen mapped to myself right out of writing a story. So I just, 
I know it's a man capable of, but it's not something, I mean, it, it can wreck the potential for me to write the story. And for something I'm not under contract to do, I wouldn't torture myself with telling a story I was no longer interested in telling. So that's why I don't do it. But I have been known to have, with big plots, um, I did this with Slytherin Black, is I had so many plot points that I had to establish dependencies between them. And I actually put them in a Microsoft Project file with dependencies between events so that I didn't get shit out of order and <laughs> put something in a scene before I had done a critical dependency. Um, but I also keep a running list of um, things that need follow-up on. So I have the list of critical things, plot points that have to happen. And when I sit down to write a scene, I decide what plot points I'm hitting, and then I look at the list of things that need follow-up and determine which of those things I'm going to bring into the scene. Because you don't want to just, you know, every, if you bring up a plot point and you resolve it immediately, that feels very, uh, starts to feel contrived if every plot point is completely resolved the minute it's brought up. So we're like, oh, we need food. We found food. We need weapons. We found weapons. You know, it just gets to be a little bit... Um, <laughs> and then, feels, and then it feels a little bit artificial. Um, also, during this process, if you insert a plot point that wasn't part of your original plot, you need to look at that plot point, make sure it's not there for vanity. If it is there for vanity and you still like it, keep it. That, that's your shit. That's you, you doing you. You do you. You do your writing. But. If you do insert a plot point, you need to look at the rest of your plot and see how it impacts that. And if it is a plot point that needed development and can't just appear out of nowhere, you're going to have to back up to the rest of your plot and say, okay, where can I insert a scene to give this foundation? That way you don't get a moment where suddenly there's a dead body and you don't know why, and neither does your reader. <laughs> your character can be clueless. You cannot. That's right. I'm just saying. And then, <laughs> and then, so don't feel like you have to know the entire season, every moment that's going to happen, um, and exactly how all of your episodes are going to come together. Because if you're not a plotter, that could be really overwhelming, and I could see that that could be overwhelming. I've had a couple conversations with people who are, who are telling me they already feel overwhelmed by plotting multiple episodes. Know where you're going. Don't tell a story bigger than you can tell in the word in, in that you can tell. So if you're somebody who can write 20,000 words in a month, don't give yourself a 100,000-word idea. You know? So you're just setting yourself up for failure, and that, right. that isn't the point. Um, the point is to, um, to stretch yourself, to develop a skill, and to be proud of yourself when you get to the other end of it. So, you know... I actually had to create an Excel document to keep track of the dead bodies in Darkly Loyal. It has it has uh, the victim, who did it, and who they're affiliated with. And we appreciate that because we like the dead body ticker. You and know, the location. We like, the, we like yeah. the body count. So. And you can't give us the body count if you don't keep track of it. So we appreciate your <laughs> diligence. Actually, the other benefit to what she's doing is that she doesn't kill somebody twice. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. That kind of shit happens. I also but... have a list of people who aren't dead yet. <laughs> and it's actually called that. People who aren't dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
So don't just when you're when you're playing. And I, you know, if you're having problems with, I, mean, I know July's a ways away. We've actually got. I think one of the reasons why people are so focused on July is because April is the mulligan, which means you're bringing stories you already know and are already intimately familiar with to the fore to work on again. So I think people are very focused on what's going to happen in July and how they're going to be able to execute on this, a different skill. Um, and so if you're getting overwhelmed or you just want advice or you want to bounce things around, go to the forum, make make a post. Um, we get notified of every new post, so someone will drop in and, and bounce, help bounce ideas around with you, um, help try to make it so that it's not so overwhelming. Um, you could, we could even talk about is your idea the number of words that you think it is. Um, whatever will help you kind of reduce the anxiety to feel like that this is achievable, just reach out for help because that's what the forum is there for. Because I, what's important to keep in mind as you look at the battle challenge is that literally your word count goal for the month is 5,000 words. Mm-hmm. You could write one episode. That's your minimum. Because um, it's about writing episodes. And so if you post one episode, you've won. Now, I'd like you to post more. That'd be great. That'd be cool. But don't get yourself all worked up. Is she bragging? She's bragging. Yeah, I think so. Eleanor is bragging about not having anything to do in April. She's saying she I guess finished some of us, all of her fix. I just some of us don't hoard fix the way others do. I hoard my fix like a dragon. I am a fan fiction dragon. Yeah, I was spoiled for choice. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I could do this one, or I could do that one, or I could do that one. I really enjoyed the Rule 63 shorts, too, but people had a problem with it, so now I'm going to write a big one. In fact, I'm going to go on record right now and say that my battle fig is going to be Girl Rodney. That's right. Don't tell. I do what I want. Just go ahead, whoever it was that bitched, and go ahead and start getting upset now. We we eagerly go. anticipate you being angry for the next five months. You can go suck a fuck. And we're down to a minute and 14 seconds. Um, and I literally have no idea what that actually means, suck a fuck. Um, but it amuses me. It is funny. It, and I don't actually don't want to think it, about what it means. I don't really, I don't either. Because it, it it could be really dirty. We'll it could be really gross. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a great evening and a great weekend. Be safe, be cool, be creative, and be successful. We're out. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>